0: Welcome to the Campus Energy and Sustainability Podcast. In each episode, we'll talk with leading campus professionals, thought leaders, engineers, and innovators, addressing the unique challenges and opportunities facing higher ed and corporate campuses. Our discussions will range from energy conservation and efficiency to planning and finance, from building science to social science, from energy systems to food systems. We hope you're ready to learn, share, and ultimately accelerate your institution towards solutions. I'm your host, Dave Carlscott. I'm a principal at Fovia, an energy, carbon, and business planning firm. In this episode, you'll hear a live recording of a panel I moderated at the California Higher Education Sustainability Conference, which took place earlier this summer on the campus of the University of California, Santa Barbara. My panelists were Eric Eberhardt, Director of Energy Services from the University of California Office of the President, Lindsey Kalkbrenner, Director of Sustainability for Santa Clara University, Fletcher Alexander. Sustainability Programs Manager for California State University Chico, and Tyler Derschlag Richardson, a Senior Analyst at the California Institute of Technology. During the session, the panelists fielded questions about their climate action efforts. You'll hear both success stories from these leading institutions, but also some honest discussion on where they have more work to do. The topics ranged from the nature of their climate action strategies, making the business case for sustainable practices, the dual role of higher education to both lead and to educate, carbon neutrality, 100% renewable energy, and more. Audience members brought up some challenging questions, including how to consider equity, social justice, and the stratification of resources when addressing these challenges. I think you'll hear a combination of inspiring stories and some honest self-reflection from these sustainability professionals working in the trenches. I hope you enjoy this live recording recorded July 10th, 2018. All right. Well, welcome. I'm your moderator today. My name is Dave Scott. I'm with a company called Fovia uh, based in Seattle, Washington. But today I'm going to be wearing a, a different hat as a host of the Campus and Energy and Sustainability podcast. And we are going to try something new today. This is going to be the first podcast that we've done in front of a live audience. So uh, since I'm wearing multiple hats today, I expect the audience to wear multiple hats today too. So instead of just being passive participants here waiting for the reception afterwards to get you know your drinks or whatever i'm going to make you be active participants here so before we get started with these guys i need you guys to practice your role real quick okay so first of all so i'll say something like okay first of all we'd like to thank uh everybody here the staff at at uc santa barbara and you're gonna all right okay great and then Another thing that might happen is Tyler, in a little bit, he'll introduce himself and he'll say, oh, and he has this cute new little girl and you're going to go, Aww. okay, good. And Eric, later on, he's going to make a joke and it's going to totally bomb, but you're going to be really <laughs> polite and you're going to go, <laughs> awesome, okay. So I think, I think you're ready. We'll see if our panelists are ready. I specifically chose this group of folks, partly because I knew them, that was probably the, their, their most qualifying <laughs> characteristic. Uh, they certainly represent... a a different set of schools i didn't get a community college in here but we've got uh, somebody from the uc system somebody from the cal state system somebody from a small uh, a private school i'm not supposed to say small right what's the right term for it something you'll you'll tell me later and then we've got a a technical school so they're going to all introduce themselves we'll get to that here in a second but the other reason i chose this group of people in particular is these are all folks that i've had really honest conversations with. They are not necessarily the person that gets up and reads all the fancy stats about all the great work they're doing. They're the ones actually in the trenches doing this hard work around deep decarbonization on their campuses and pursuing these goals. So without further ado, we'll get started here. The format we're gonna follow, I'm gonna allow each of our panelists to introduce themselves and speak a little bit about their own campuses. And then I've got a couple of questions just to get them, get them warmed up because they need some practice too. And then I'm going to turn it over to you guys to ask your questions. And the only uh, technical thing is just make sure you go to one of these microphones when you ask your question.
1: All right. The
0: title today is The Opportunities and Challenges of Aggressive Climate Action. Maybe, Eric, you can start us off. Can, can you just give us an overview of who you are,
2: your role, um, and maybe a little bit about some of the big challenges you're facing right now? Uh, sure. My name's Eric Eberhardt. I'm the Director of Energy Services at the University of California Office of the President, um, which is effectively the central office of the UC system. We're not affiliated with a particular campus, so just, I guess, take that into mind based on my responses. I'm not speaking for a campus. My role at the Office of the President is really to support the campuses, to create Uh, tools and resources for the campuses to achieve their goals and the system goals so it's a slightly different perspective um, and i'm part of a group at the office of the president which is called energy and sustainability which um, supports a number of issues Um, i guess our challenge our biggest challenge is probably common to just about everyone in this room in that Carbon neutrality is not the core function of the University of California. So how can we provide um, the right business case and framing around the projects and actions we need to take to make it palatable for campuses, budget officers, capital planners, et cetera, to Mm -hmm. execute on what needs to be done to get to the goals that we've set for ourselves. Alright, moving on. Lindsay, you want
3: to... Alright, hi, I'm Lindsay Kalkbrenner. Can you hear me okay back there? <clears throat> Great. I direct the Center for Sustainability at Santa Clara University. I've been in this role for, well, I've been their sustainability officer for 12 years now. I started as a part-time temporary position and worked my way up to director of the center. We have, we signed the President's Climate Commitment back in 2007 saying that we become carbon neutral or climate neutral by 2015. Um, so that's that's a challenge we could start with and an, an opportunity as well uh, we've since revi- refined our date to 2020 so not much more realistic but um, equally important and exciting so um, we will be carbon neutral for scopes one and two by 2020 so that keeps me up at night because that's not that far away we at the same time we're growing in square footage and in people which both use a ton of energy and travel so uh, well at least the Buildings don't travel, hopefully, but the people do. And so finding out how to grapple with the the balances of global travel as well as more people and buildings on our campus with our goals for climate neutrality, which are in our strategic plan. We have stated both of these in the same document. Um, And managing that in a financially responsible way that engages our campus community and, more importantly, our students to model um, what a sustainable future can and should look like, Um, all of those are you know good job security for someone in my position.
4: Hello everyone, I'm Fletcher Alexander. I'm the Sustainability Programs Manager at California State University Chico. Chico also signed the ACU PCC in 2007. We were actually one of the 12 founding signatories. We have done quite a bit since then. We had adopted our Climate Action Plan in 2011 and um, our most recent greenhouse gas emissions inventory which looked at fiscal year 1415 showed that we reduced our scopes one, two, and three emissions by about 33% over that 10 year period from our 06 base year through the 14, 15 fiscal year. Um, That actually puts us about five years ahead of schedule uh, in terms of our climate action plan targets. Our cap outlines an interim target of reducing back to 1990 emissions levels by 2020, which we have as of our most recent inventory just exceeded by a little bit. Um, And we have a neutrality target for 2030, and that does include all three scopes. So um, there's a lot that's been done to date, but we are pivoting now, I'd say, to look at sort of the second phase of our climate action planning process, um, what's definitely going to be the much tougher phase. And there's the the campus right now is actually going through a master planning update process, and uh, there's some I think really encouraging things happening where we're, we're basically folding in now our climate action plan, which previously was a standalone document into our master plan. So we're starting to have some really interesting and challenging conversations about how do we get from where we are today to neutrality in 2030, which especially since we're including scope three emissions will necessarily include some offsets. And as a state institution, we don't necessarily have a lot of resources to purchase them. So ways in which we might be able to actually generate leveraging um, our academic resources, our faculty and our students. uh, is a really exciting conversation we're having uh, recently as part of this master planning process.
5: Tyler Derschlag-Richardson, I'm a senior analyst in facilities at Caltech in uh, services and planning and we have purview over sustainability and energy. Uh, We issued our first climate action plan in 2008 and the goal for that plan was to reach 1990 levels uh, of emissions by 2020 and we've since reduced since we've issued that plan we've reduced our emissions about 24 percent and we're over halfway to our goal but we're close to 2020 and one of the things we've done since that plan is recently we embarked on an energy resource planning process it was a two-year Highly collaborative process with stakeholders across campus looking at energy supply uh, for our campus and, and how to green that supply potentially. And uh, what we came to, we currently operate a natural gas cogeneration facility on campus. We came to in that plan was that, you know, cogen has been really good to us in the past and it will be for the, first, for the near future, but over the long term, it makes a lot of sense for us to move to offsite renewables and renewable energy uh, for our energy, uh, for electricity supply. Now, uh, one of the major challenges we faced as we dug into the details of that plan was uh, we have a lot of steam needs for the campus, both for heating the campus, process needs for industrial uses, and then for our laboratories, very resource and and, uh, energy intensive laboratories on campus. And in order to really take a bite out of our emissions, we really have to address that thermal side of the equation. It doesn't really matter how many green electrons we get on the electrical side unless we're really looking at uh, electrification of, of boilers and whatnot. So one of the big next steps for us is a utility master planning process. where We're looking at optimizing our utility distribution system and also looking at how do we address the thermal side of the equation. So that's one of the big next hurdles for us.
0: All right. Well, I, I think that leads into my next question, which you can challenge my premise, but uh, I, I tend to think about climate action planning and with campuses and as like a three-legged stool. So you have you know more efficiency that's a clear, and that can be you know building efficiency or system efficiency uh you have cleaning up your supply so that's either getting renewable energy into to the grid or you know maybe biogas or some other alternative fuels potentially and then there's better system design so you know for example if you rather than making more or your fleet more efficient what if you don't need to use the cars in the first place for example um i guess that's my frame, I guess I'd be curious to think, you know, do you, do you each think about it that way? Do you, um, ha, you know, wh- which of those are you focused on or how do you marry those three legs of that stool? Or are there four legs of the stool and maybe I'm missing one? Yeah, go in any order, I don't care whoever wants to go first.
3: I'll add the fourth and then you can add to that. Um, but I think that we have to always remember that we're an educational institution. So I think we need to, everything that we're doing is for the benefit of our students, right, for educating them and showcasing all these different technologies. So it'd be great to have. I always struggle with the idea of having automated lighting in classrooms and offices, because then people forget that they need to turn off a light. And when they go somewhere else outside of our campus that has an actual switch, like an old fashioned light switch, you have to actually still have that culture and that behavior. So while I think that. It's in some cases, you have to remove the opportunity for someone to make the wrong choice by doing those light sensors and having all those automated systems. There still needs to be that balance of that, that educational uh, that behavior and that culture embedded in like, all of our systems.
4: Yeah, I'll, I'll follow up on that. I, I strongly agree. And I would say, especially for us in terms of the Scope 3 piece, um, it's for sure the trickiest piece of them all. Um, The commute piece is a very substantial contributor to our overall greenhouse gas emissions for us and we are including student staff and faculty commute. To a large large extent how our student staff and faculty commute to campus is certainly beyond our direct control. We can influence it to a degree with incentives and disincentives but a big part of that is you know engaging folks and getting them to understand that their behavior impacts what we're doing and that these choices that they make matter so um, I think the three legs you mentioned are obviously central to it, but I think there's a there's a, a human, a behavior piece that's that's a pretty big part of it as well. Maybe
5: they're sitting on the stool. Yeah, sure. I can pile on and add another leg to this stool. I think uh, you know Caltech. We're a very data-driven environment, and I think you can't really achieve what you don't measure. Uh, the first, you really need a robust baseline for for what your current operations are to understand where you're headed. And that's something we spent a lot of time on on our campus, especially um, for our energy efficiency investments. We we have a green revolving loan fund that takes dollars from our endowment and invests in uh, efficiency projects across campus. And without rigorous M and V, uh, you know, we wouldn't be able to justify those expenditures and really have ha- wouldn't have made much of the progress that we've made to date.
2: So I'm gonna go backwards. I'm gonna take away a couple legs <laughs> just. Uh, <Yeah. laughs> I, I keep things simple and just for the sake of maybe our goal is scopes one and two only for 2025, but I think all the things that were mentioned are critical pieces of all this, but the way that we're kind of looking at it, I guess, is really uh, two sides of the coin maybe versus a two-legged stool, because that's probably not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) um, we just look at, you know, demand (laughs) side and supply side, you know, how are you going to get to carbon neutrality? You can attack those two sides. So, you know, on the demand side, obviously, focusing on energy efficiency, uh, creating policies to support that. How can we, um, you know, push efficient and low carbon for that matter, uh, new construction. And, and those two, th- you know, that's an I think an important point is starting to really distinguish and develop, develop an appreciation for uh, energy efficiency, uh, zero, uh, zero use, of energy versus a carbon zero construction or project. So these are all subtleties that become very important and apparent when you start looking at these things. Um, On the supply side, You know, that is a wide open field, we've taken the role as an energy service provider to go out on the market and purchase energy for our direct access eligible campuses, which is not our our entire uh, fleet of campuses, unfortunately, so we have a certain level of control on the supply side. In other campuses, we don't, and so we have to look at evaluating utility green tariffs or what other alternative options may exist or just going out and looking at how the accounting is done and, and can we go down a road like a, a Google or an Apple as far as uh, procuring green power and, and offsetting use uh, from, from that angle. So there, there's a lot, of, a lot of things there, and I think a really important point was made on the, on the gas side. We also have uh, seven co-gen facilities that need to be addressed. Um, there's a lot of ways to do that. One, one way is on the supply side, which is procurement of biogas as as a component of the portfolio it is not the answer by any stretch of the imagination it's a a bridging strategy i think from our perspective to get there to address some of these assets that are going to be around for the foreseeable future they they essentially have mortgages that need to be paid at some point so that's kind of our perspective is the the demand supply side all
0: right this one's maybe more of a lightning round
2: although you guys can pontificate as you'd like
0: So which of these best describes your climate action efforts? We are educating the next generation of climate aware engaged citizens or we are piloting how an organization can decarbonize and obviously you can pick a little from both if you want.
2: I'm going to give the obvious easy answer because it's both it's both it can't be one or the other right we're not
0: doing doing our
2: job I mean it's who who are you asking right I mean from i if I just go to my very narrow job description, it would be I'm not faculty, so i'm kind of in the in the trenches trying to trying to do stuff, but I have to remember every day that I'm walking into an educational institution, and our mission carbon neutrality is is not spelled out specifically there so if we're not educating the next generation, we're not doing our job um, as was pointed out before so it it has to be both it it can't be anything but so I'm going to take that easy, easy answer off the off well, the top. Well, and right. I guess I'm
0: clarifying like, why I even asked this question. I know this is, is some schools really do focus primarily on the education piece, t- and and don't worry so much about the facilities. It's really because they think they can get more leverage out of that. I guess I'm just curious. You know, uh, you all have made this commitment, so obviously you have to deal with both. But like, how do you navigate between those two worlds? Maybe it's a better way to ask the same question.
5: I mean, uh, per, uh, no no, go ahead. I, I was just going to say on the the flip side, you know, our in our institution uh, our role in facilities and sustainability putting on that role hat is, is very much on the operation side and showing by doing a lot of the work we do is, is behind the scenes in the buildings uh, and developing tools and processes and templates that you know will help us achieve our goals but then potentially could help other organizations and their operations to achieve the same I mean to to punt a little bit I mean I'm constantly amazed by the the research that's going on our, it, by our students and, and how aware they are, you know, the things they're doing, artificial photosynthesis, AI, advanced materials research, you know, it's all above here for me, but, you know, are, are going to be game changers down the road. And so uh, we, we, we do a little bit of both.
4: Um, I'll just say I don't think that both is just the easy answer. I mean, it's definitely the right answer. And in fact, at higher ed institutions, there are synergies, right? So addressing both you end up I think getting more than you would focusing on either. So I think in in recent years there's been a lot of movement at our institutions towards emerging these things. I mean we look at the Campus as a Living Lab initiative that the CSU Chancellor's Office is about to launch I think their fifth funding round for. There's a lot of amazing projects going on at campuses across the CSU where students as a part of their curriculum in the classroom are actually engaging with facilities folks, not just working on theoretical exercise and, and, and producing sort of concepts at the campus, but perhaps actually getting our hands dirty working on things. Um, and the EPIC model, Educational Partnerships for Innovation in Communities, um, which is a, a national network, but there are, I believe, eight to 10 programs in, the, in California alone um, that have replicated that model, that expands the same concept across the boundaries of the university. So I'd say, especially if you're looking at scope three emissions, like a commute piece, Partnering regionally, certainly with your city government and others, is necessary to address some of those things. So, I think not only is it, is it a sort of a false dilemma, but I think if you're not addressing both and and finding ways they can support each other, then you're there's something really valuable um, that's foundational to what we do at these institutions is being missed
3: say ditto and then add on the, the I mean at our campus the role of the Center for Sustainability is to bridge academics and operations I mean we always talk about how siloed our campuses can be and so there's great work happening on both sides but if they don't know what's going on they can't build and leverage and and have that even more incredible growth. So um, our job is really to kind of have that database of projects and questions and ideas, and then connect those to faculty members and to students who want to do a quarter-long research project or a year-long research project, and kind of help us come up with some of those pilot tests or solutions, and then that way we can kind of embed those into some of the, the directions that we move.
0: All right. Well, I have one more false binary question, which is in the softball round. And so I want you guys thinking about what questions you want to uh, ask them next. We'll, we'll kind of amp it up. So we want the answers to be like make them squirm a little bit, but don't get them fired for their responses. So, so that's the criteria for your questions. But my last one before I turn it over to the audience would be. So there's another kind of false dilemma you hear a lot about, which is 100 you know, percent renewables versus carbon neutrality. Uh, Maybe I just say that, and what are your thoughts? How do you deal with that conversation? How much of
2: a controversy is that? Is it a controversy, or how do you you speak to that conversation? I can start, I don't think it's a controversy. I think 100% renewable is a strategy to get to carbon neutrality so I mean our goal is not 100% renewable it's it's carbon neutrality and I think you can sometimes get caught up in definitions technical definitions of what that actually means and you can get in, into debates um, about the the effectiveness of, of uh, one approach versus another but I think at least for the University of California it it makes sense to do a carbon neutrality goal versus a 100% renewable energy goal because it's just more comprehensive because you're now including demand side. If you're only talking about 100% renewable, you've just cut out all of your demand side approaches. So to um, have something that is indeed, I think looking at both sides of that coin is probably more appropriate.
3: And, I mean, I guess the 100% renewable wouldn't really be considering transportation, right?
4: Certainly not, yeah. So it misses
3: the third scope if you're, I mean, it, our, so our carbon neutrality goal for scopes one, two, and three would be 2029. (laughs) Um, I laugh because transportation's at least half of our carbon footprint right now, our greenhouse gas emissions footprint. So um, it's going to be, I mean, a challenge to do that. So I think that aside we're going to need to be purchasing offsets we're never going to stop traveling and until you know the travel industry runs on renewable energy we can't we won't be renewable for travel um so i think that we're we're focusing on carbon neutrality now trying to emphasize reducing as much energy use as possible and but we're knowing that we're gonna have to purchase offsets so part of our um, challenge is finding those mission aligned offsets so we can be financially responsible and um you know, have those educational co-benefits associated with the offset so we're not just, you know, offsetting something and and not changing any of our practices. It really has to be a concerted effort. But I do like the idea of 100% renewable energy because that would definitely minimize the amount of offsets that you would have to purchase for your, I mean, or eliminate the amount of offsets you'd have to purchase for your energy usage. I just don't think in this, time period, it's, it's not realistic for us. It's more realistic for us to commit to carbon neutrality. And that's something that we can strive for and be successful at and then have that goal of 100% renewable to focus on.
4: Yeah, because we are including a variety of sources beyond our energy consumption, that's it's not really the question we're looking at. But in terms of the energy piece, we do have sort of a loading order. I'd say that um, efficiency first then conservation and then renewables. And this sort of the greenest kilowatt hour is the kilowatt hour you don't consume sort of an idea. So um, renewables are, are, you know, sort of one of the last things we, we will pivot to and look at. Yeah, 2030 is not that that long out. So will we have electrified all of our building systems by then fully? Um, you know, probably not. Um, there will definitely be some, some offset questions for us there.
5: Yeah, you know, we're we're a space constrained urban campus. And so 100 percent renewable for us would mean uh, it's not going to happen on our on our campus, on our property. And as you see, a lot of institutions, a lot of companies, going with large offsite purchases, and I think something we all need to consider as we move towards a more renewable world is you know we're all essentially using the grid as a battery as we increase our renewables that we that we take credit for, but there are emissions associated with. With our electrical purchase, even if we have an offsite renewable contract that covers all of our essentially over a net period, our, our consumption, we have to think about that broader system as well. You know, as we get higher and higher levels of renewable penetration, w- what does that mean? It is 100% renewable achievable? Are there other technologies that can help us get to that carbon neutrality at a at a lower marginal cost, or you know, potentially as those technologies improve? So. That's something we think about at Caltech.
0: All right, well, that was softball round. So if we've got a question over here, please go ahead. Tell us who you are too. Thanks so
1: much for being here. My name is Joe Fullerton. I work at San Mateo County Community College District. Um, We have some work to do um, uh, to catch up with y'all. That said, one of the things that I feel like we're pretty successful in is inclusiveness and social equity. And so my question to you is in terms of your carbon action plans, how are you factoring in, or calculating, or thinking about um, the both the direct and indirect impacts or issues around social equity within your programs, if at all. Um, so I'll just leave that open.
0: Thank you. Great question. You can rock, paper, scissors for who goes first.
5: <laughs> it's something where we're not doing enough of, maybe explicitly. Uh, One thing that we've started to do is build in a social cost of carbon, at least on the planning and sensitivity analysis side of our project analysis. So we've had some some teams of students and graduate students look at the models that are out there, what are are the pros and cons of the different uh, social costs that are being floated, and then build that into our project uh, analyses to see how do things tip, how does our view of the world change if we build in a social cost, which takes, it's not a full uh, gamut of equity issues, but potentially some of those costs that our actions are imposing on the broader world so it, it's a start and and hopefully it, it's something that will continue to be into institutionalized
0: right any other questions right now otherwise I'll. it's all right we have another go ahead you can go ahead first yes again tell us who you are and where you're from
3: hi my name is Cassie I'm from San Diego State University so like mm-hmm. many other campuses we've also adopted a climate action plan uh, we have some aggressive goals to do by 2020 we have some for 2030 some for 2040 so Eric kind of posed the question a little bit Uh, I just wanna know how you strategize to motivate people to make climate action plans more of a priority with so many other things they have to do, why should they focus on this?
0: Great, that takes one off my list, I already had some good work, yeah.
3: Um, So in the past we've tried really hard to make it not something extra, So something embedded in our mascot's a Bronco, so that's what Broncos do. We have an energy challenge for our campus residents every year, and um, uh, we're doing it in the fall, right? So as soon as first years are getting onto campus, establishing their norms and behaviors, they're learning how to do their laundry in cold water and, and, and those sorts of things, but I think This year, we've just updated our climate action plan. We're in the process of integrating that with our sustainability strategic plan. And part of that includes a set of playbooks that show folks how they can engage in implementing the plan in their roles on campus. So if they're a faculty or staff member, if they're an administrator, if they're a director of a division, um, if they're a building manager. So it kind of gives them specific things that they can do relative to who they are on campus and ways they can be successful in helping us implement the carbon neutrality goals.
4: That's Great. Um, We also try to focus a lot on engagement. Um, First years are definitely a target uh, group for us. And there are really, you know, our Associated Students has a pretty robust sustainability program that does a lot of amazing programming focused towards engaging students. Uh, And there are a lot of other groups, clubs, et cetera, across campus that are focused especially on engaging our student body. And I think um, we've had a lot of involvement from our students over the years in these efforts. One of the things we're discussing as we're going through this master planning process and looking at neutrality for all three scopes by 2030 and ultimately at some point having to deal with offsets is this idea of can we produce offsets in some way right and sort of perhaps you know the UC's got some of what they call the grand challenges so sort of borrowing from that idea can we pose a challenge um, with some sort of uh, compelling incentives to our faculty and students to get them involved there in, in cracking what ultimately will be you know one of the toughest parts of this whole puzzle.
2: Making people do stuff that they don't want to do, that's, that's really the, the core. And we, I, I was actually with Dave in a room right before this, trying to figure out this, this very same question. But I think you know one of the foundations for for better or worse is you have to have buy-in at the top level to make this happen. If you think it's, if you think it's going to realistically happen, that's just a fact, I think. And even when you have that, that has not solved your problem. Uh, we have our president that, that made this, This a presidential initiative and you think you know okay we're good now let's everyone just start going out and getting carbon neutral not not so much Um, so then you know I think the next level is really creating accountability metrics and reporting to support those metrics at all levels and engaging all the stakeholders that are involved in those decisions and and making them accountable because I think in the end People want to do this. I mean, this is. I mean, that's kind of the nice thing, right, about being in this role. Is it, we're kind of the good news people in gen- in general. You know, we're not the auditors coming to bring the, the storm clouds. Usually, people. This. These are things that I think people inherently want to work on. So, if they're accountable for things around these efforts. It gives them the latitude to spend time on it and to tell their superiors that this is, this is something that their leadership cares about and they need to spend time on it and put the time and effort in into it to make it successful. So that's not easy to do, but I, I see, you know, to, to make a big goal like that happen, that's, that's critical.
5: At Caltech, we try and make things as easy as we possibly can for people. Our, our stakeholders are incredibly busy and our issues are probably not the highest on on their plate in any given day uh, so we we try and and incorporate nudges or behind the scenes actions as much as possible or, or make it easy for them for example our freezer rebate program where they can get free money to install a higher efficiency freezer that saves a, t- a ton of energy uh, so we, we try and make it as easy as possible
6: all right so my name is jared and i represent the student body in the as government of california state university chico <laughs> And so um, at the last panel I was at, we just learned that a third of anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions comes from our global food system. So my question was, uh, what, if anything, is being done to reduce greenhouse gas emissions produced from food being sold on campus? Or are these conversations like not being held? Are they beginning? Or what, if anything, do you guys have to say about that?
4: Well, I'd say our Associated Students at Chico has done some uh, really innovative stuff over the years. Uh, the first year that...
0: Uh, Planted question, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is where you guys go boo. No. <laughs> I, on the one hand, yes,
4: but in fact, I, I mean that sincerely. And the first year that Chesk added uh, food systems as a best practice award category, our Associated Students uh, won that award. I think that was 2014. Um, so in a sense, as a student government officer, you may have a little bit more knowledge about some of the things the Associated Students are doing than I do, but I think um, there's 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 a serious commitment there. I mean, within our whole Associated Students, I think, I guess I should, I should clarify, our dining operations are run by our Associated Students, which is perhaps a little bit unique. Um, we don't have any franchises or anything like that. It's all run through the A.S. So I think there's been a, a real meaningful commitment there over the years, uh, sourcing locally. I mean, we're certainly in an agricultural area uh, in Chico in Northern California, so from our 800-acre university farm where we've got now an organic vegetable project um, that's providing you know, some food to the marketplace, to some other efforts as well. I mean, I think within the AS there's been a real serious commitment to that.
2: And i know we have the global food initiative and that i'm not going to pretend that i have all the the details on but i mean just to address your question of is this being talked about is this being addressed the answer is definitely yes and i think there's a lot of synergies there that were mentioned i think a lot of the initiatives around food are you know one is is health and health of the citizens of the the state country and the world and how can we you know create a food system to support that but also addressing these other issues around the economy and GHG, and I think, like I said, there's synergies there. Local, I think, addresses a lot of those issues, and that's been a huge push for all of the, the campuses, I know, within the UC system to, to try and make that happen. So I think it is it is a major issue that is, is being talked about and addressed.
3: I know, at Santa Clara, we've been looking at food security on campus, as well as food recovery, both on and external to camp, like campus donations, but Since Project Drawdown came out, we were inspired to include that in our Sustainability Strategic Plan. And so we're measuring, we're determining our current baseline for food waste on campus and coming up with targets to reduce that within the next few years, year by year, um, working with dining. And then we've also looked at our percentage of plant-based meals to see how we can, what our baseline is and then how we can increase that from year to year.
0: Any other comments? Okay, go ahead.
7: Hi. My name is Mac Lajowski. I'm from Mendocino Lake Community College District. I just wanted to kind of touch more on what Joe was saying about equity and whatnot. I mean, from just a cursory search on my phone, I saw the California Community <coughs> Colleges serve 2.1 million students. Cal State and uh, the UCs serve less than half that. And there's a noticeably empty chair on your panel here but i 'm wondering how do we how do we move forward? I mean it seems to be a very large performance gap. It seems that Cal State the UC systems have a lot of money to do these projects. California community colleges don 't uh, by and large. Our students are largely minority students, um, have a high degree of poverty uh, such as that, so how do we, I guess, stop the stratification between the two systems? And how do we, I guess, find ways to collaborate on an institutional level to move forward?
0: I'll, I'll pile on to that. So first of all, it's my fault there isn't that seat at the table, and definitely recognize that up front. I'm sorry, I only, only had so many people I could add to the panel. Uh, but to pile on for you guys for the question, because I think it's a great one, uh, because a lot of the issues that the community colleges deal with are those scope three issues. Some of the ones I know with the work at the UC that we've been doing it, that's not even in our scope of what we're thinking about. I mean, people are,
2: but like, I guess, yeah, I'll just let let his question stand. Um, I can can start with, I want to dispel a rumor that there is a giant pot of money that is available (laughs) for for all these activities. Uh, We finance everything basically and that's the beauty of energy efficiency. Obviously, so I think it's it's um, developing the processes and the systems to to utilize a lot of the available resources and the size of some of these institutions and the and the creditworthiness of these uh, institutions, um, and and use that money. To, to get these projects done. Like I said, not that it's coming from a budget, it's being financed. And if you're doing cost-effective projects, you know, that's, a, that's an available resource. So I think that that's something that is underutilized by UC for sure. Um, And we're we're pushing it. But I think, you know, that's an opportunity for all of us, you know, like you mentioned, I think maybe to to work together to continue to work with utilities and and some of the programs that exist to expand them and to continue pushing that envelope because I think that's a massive opportunity for, for funding.
3: And I mean, I don't come from a system. We have there's maybe there's 28 Jesuit universities, but we're all over the U.S. And we don't often collaborate as much on like energy initiatives. But I think that I mean, I love learning from other campuses, regar- like regarding whatever program they're working on that I'm thinking about right now. And I love sharing what we're doing. I mean, obviously I'm up here today, right? But like, so I think that if there's ways that we can piggyback off of each other, if there's a successful case study or some really cool installation that's happening on one campus, like I want to go and. See it and and look under the hood and figure out how it worked it's it's nice to read about it in like an an AC newsletter but i think it's it's more helpful for us to find those um peers or counterparts that are near us that we can go and visit and exchange with so if you're ever at santa clara come on over and i'd be happy to check out your campus too
8: and i'll
0: say Oh, I was just going to say just because I think part of his question that we're missing is the is the equity and and you know the student body aspect of it too. Is that just to give you a chance to add on before we turn
2: it over to Fletcher?
3: Okay. Oh, thank you. So I think that um, well, one key point is the less we spend on energy the i'm never going to say that we'll be able to reduce tuition right but at least tuition won't have to go up as much i mean if we can be more financially responsible with uh how we're how we're spending our money if we can spend less on energy um that ultimately that will lead to a better like improved campus operations in some other way that will improve the quality of life for the students on campus that's my two cents for that
4: i just wanted to follow up on the uh, the uc comment about finance mechanisms. Um, Our local community college, Butte College, was recognized as being the first, I think, grid positive in terms of their electricity college or university in the United States. Um, Back in 2006, 2007, their facilities management team uh, was able to take advantage, figure out how how to do some, I think, innovative financing. And they have solar panels everywhere on that campus, not just on the rooftops, but trellises everywhere, parking structures. Um, and we actually take a lot of heat of that about that because our students go out to Butte College and see that and they come back to Chico State and we do not have anywhere near that much solar. So I think that that's a great point. Um, and I, just from my own experience in our own region, our, our local community college has done some really impressive stuff.
0: Yeah, it's not just the, the the UCs teaching the community colleges. It's actually the innovations happening at the at the smaller schools. We see that a lot in our work too. Yeah, go ahead, Todd.
5: Yeah, I'll just echo that. You know, we're we're always open to to share and to learn. We we have people come to our campus all the time, and we go and visit others and, uh, and see what innovative practices they're doing. So hey, we're we're always looking to collaborate. All right, we have a line now. This is great. All right, go ahead.
6: Uh, Bruce Chamberlain, uh, campus energy manager at UC Berkeley. And I, I was going to touch on the the, uh, the resource issue. And, and thanks, Eric, and others for mentioning financing. But following up on the earlier nudges or um, enticements, you mentioned incentives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have, so for instance, we have the leadership that's on board, and we have a willingness within campus and community stakeholders to do it because it's the right thing, or they have a certain pride of institutional efficiency. So, but so that really, usually the the nut to crack is the resources, whether it's staffing or uh, money to get things done. So maybe you've touched on that, and and if financing is the answer, that's great. But maybe there's other ways you could explain how that works and flows and and builds off the momentum of these other characteristics. And then also just to throw in there, training if. Uh, training of staff, facility staff, to stay up with the sophistication of uh, facilities, dynamics, and all the way they're run these days. Thanks.
4: Hey, Tager. Well, I'll say um, Chico established a sustainability office in 2006. We are the first CSU campus to establish a sustainability office and put resources towards a full-time sustainability officer position. There are probably... I don't know, 40 more sustainability officer positions across the CSU since then, so a lot of hires going on and our resource level has remained somewhat static over that time, 10-12 years now. One of the most important things we can do is to show the value that we're that we're adding to the campus to quantify that whenever possible and I think I might be a little biased but I mean I think we really do add immense value um, to not only what we're doing operationally, but the the academic mission of the university. So that can be tricky to quantify or put a dollar value on, no doubt, but there are other metrics that work. And uh, that's, I think, for sure, one of the most important things that can be done. And
0: How do you do that, Fletcher? Because I think that's, like,
4: conceptually, that totally makes sense, but like, what do you, like, give us
0: us some specifics on how do you convince people that you're worth it?
4: Sure, so more recently, in my office we've had a couple initiatives that have launched. Uh, one is a public-public partnership model and one is a public-private partnership model. So we are now in fact bringing substantial resources onto campus. So that is a little more straightforward, you know, grants, donations, et cetera. In fact, I just had to, we went through an a end-of-the-year budgeting process and one of the things I did was show the, the dollar value of the resources that are put into our office and next to that the, the dollar value now of the funding we're bringing in and it's a larger figure
3: by a factor of four
4: or five.
0: Makes it easier to ask for that extra staff person, I suppose, yeah. All right. Anybody else on that one?
3: So, we haven't done any, like, major investments in carbon neutrality initiatives in a while. I think when we're building our new buildings, we're just making sure that we don't go cheap on the mechanical systems, so it's kind of embedded in the different processes that we have in place. But it's been really hard. Like we don't have an energy manager. I like ask every day to get one. Um, I was like, they'll pay for themselves, please, you know. But um, so that's been a challenge as far as staffing time. Our director of utilities and I work together really well. We also butt heads a lot, and we have different opinions of how things should should happen. But his main job is not to uh, implement the carbon neutrality plan. It's to um, you know. Save energy, but make sure that our buildings don't turn off, and we, that we don't get complaints because of temperatures. And um, so it's it's really there's a lot of uh, competing priorities. It's great that we report to the same person, though, so we we can play nice with each other. But th- there's not we don't we both have full-time jobs that are not necessarily to reach carbon neutrality. So it's it's a limiting of staff time as well as of, of funding. So I don't have a good answer for you.
5: We'll put that in the challenges category. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. One of our big successes has been our ability to demonstrate our goals or values in business cases. And, and moving beyond you know, strictly financials that understanding the, the kind of risk context that our organization lives within. It's you know, we, we have very sensitive scientific experiments going on and, and really trying to find angles and ways to quantify those risks and really think about you know, what, what is, how, do you per, how do we perceive risk? How do we understand the risk of catastrophic failure? It's uh, you know it's it can be a very difficult thing to do. So we we try and build in qualitative elements into our business cases to really drive home those points. From a staffing perspective, it's it's I think it's a it's an ongoing challenge to continue to to bring all of your facility staff along with you. You know we we do a lot of work and we are. Control specialists and HVAC mechanics have gained a lot of tangible and valuable skills as part of our building automation and and building out smarter buildings. But you know, there's times when uh, there's hot cold calls and they want to just take care of it and and stop this uh, building from calling them and so the the fan gets left wide open and the alarms are turned off and so it's a constant process of of working with our team and making sure that you know things aren't things aren't left left behind Uh, it's not something that ends
0: all right you want one on that eric
2: or should we move Mm -hmm. on bruce doesn't want to hear what i have to say all (laughs) right Hi.
7: My name is Steve Gutman. I'm a consulting engineer in San Francisco with Gutman and Blavuette Consulting Engineers. Um, So back to the 100% renewables comment and your two-legged stool, Eric, supply and demand. Um, You know, we're in this weird situation in California where we actually have have excess solar on the grid. Uh, We have to curtail solar. So you know there's a lot of discussion about all-electric infrastructure and trying to get more electricity demand on the grid. And we know that there's some challenges with site-generated solar in terms of voltage control and all sorts of the other issues. So how serious are you taking on your future projects, sort of going to all-electric buildings? Is that a a viable strategy? Is that seen as the right direction? Doesn't address the cogen systems and the legacy systems, but is that the future?
2: Yeah, we, we've, we looked at that. We actually just finished a study, a building study, on looking at all-electric buildings. And we found that they actually, for the most part, are cost-effective um, versus a traditionally served building for, from natural gas and electricity. So um, you know, I think there's people that have various opinions on that study, but I think in general, I think you can make the argument that it is a reasonable thing to do to make all-electric new construction. From a new construction granted we have a lot of existing stock that needs to be dealt with and is a little more challenging not so cost effective to electrify but um, we are going to have policy in place this year that essentially says if you're building new building it should be an all-electric building unless you have a compelling reason why and let us know what that is so that's kind of i'd say step one into to moving in that direction and you know i think it, like i said we're looking at how can we set ourselves up for carbon neutrality, either carbon neutral or carbon neutral ready building design? Um, so from our perspective, I, I do see that as a as future.
0: Tyler, I' be interested in your thoughts on this too, because I know you've done a lot of thinking on more like you know because there's carbon or electrified buildings, but there's electrified campuses
5: as a whole nother level. so I know you've done things with fuel cells and cogen and some of the challenges there so maybe yeah you can speak to we're that. I mean we're deep in the middle of that argument or that, that conversation right now. We're not at the end of the study, but we're in the middle of our Utility Master Plan, which is gonna tell us a little bit about how cost-effective you know, for re- retrofitting a campus uh, to move to something like a hot water system to be able to use heat pumps and get rid of our, our boilers. Uh, it, it's definitely costly and it and even another consideration for us is potentially disruptive to operations you know digging up the campus and and repiping all of the buildings uh, and you know these are buildings where the the frequency and color of the light can can impact how people feel about it with the impact to their uh, work so it's it's definitely a challenge and something we're, we're thinking a lot about I mean I think there may have to be some conversations about appropriate uses for natural gas in, in certain settings and, and what does, even taking it further, if we're going to meet our, our two degrees, at some point we're going to go carbon negative. So what, what, do, what does appropriate uh, carbon capture sequestration and utilization look like? Is that feasible or desirable? So it's, uh, we don't have an answer yet on our campus and we're looking at it potentially electrifying, but it, 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 there'll be challenges along the way.
0: You guys want to take out? one are you good?
3: Doesn't seem like we'll electrify anytime soon.
4: Yeah, I'll, we had a, a very interesting conversation on our campus uh, about that this year that focused on a new environmental sciences building um, that uh, is, is the construction's just being started this month. Um, there was actually a very passionate and driven small group of students who lobbied pretty hard to the university administration that it should be an all electric building. Ultimately, it is not, but because of their efforts, I think there was a much richer conversation that was had about that. Um, a couple things there. I think one of the main ideas towards the end, as far as the building designers were concerned, is that the sort of the value engineering there would be too great of a cost to be able to afford that in terms of the sacrifices for some of the other principal functions and services of the building and unfortunately there's another piece which is that uh, not very long ago we actually expanded our boiler chiller plant on campus and so now we are facing a little bit of a dilemma there as we're seriously looking at t- a 2030 neutrality target and we're also looking at our, our student body right now is about 17,000 students we're looking at our president has been making statements recently that she'd like to see it grow to as much as 25,000 in the near term so there will be more new buildings constructed as well. I guess the answer is you know we don't it's it's come up more certainly this last year. I think we had a, we had a hard conversation about it. Because of that this building probably got pushed in the right direction in some regards um, but it isn't an all-electric building.
0: Well I think it was interesting that, that Butte College was you know a community college was that's easier to do there where you're not running you know, Einstein experiments, like at Caltech or at some of the, the research institutions. But So I think they're the ones that probably are going to lead the charge on that, at least for my work. But go ahead.
8: Hi there. My name is Brianna Wheeler. I'm the Director of Operations at the Building Research Establishment. We're a, a, a global multidisciplinary building science uh, research organization. Um, and we develop, we take science and we develop them into standards um, such as BREEAM. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the questions, um, we, you spoke earlier about accountability, and there's been a lot made of organizations like Microsoft, for example, setting um, carbon budgets alongside financial budgets as far as planning. Is that something that um, your organizations are considering or have looked at as far as looking at accountability and moving towards those goals?
4: Can you elaborate just a-
8: So what they were doing is they were setting budgets that essentially looked at the, um, the carbon emissions from particular divisions, from So in the case of universities, specific schools and looking at the impacts of all of the people within that so everything from the facilities that they use to potentially their commuting, their business travel in particular and using that to look at the costs that that brings into the organization. So for example instead of just coming up with the total GHG factor for the entire entity it was like our our division here is also responsible for let's say 70% of our business travel emissions.
0: So, so instead of just using budget to, for, the, for the departments, using carbon as the... That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. right.
8: So essentially putting a price on it. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. right. Is
6: that
8: something... You can
0: check, check, out, out. No. You can check we, out episode 12 so right? where I <laughs> talk about that with... Uh, yeah. No, Swarthmore's done a lot of work in that space, yeah. but there are a yeah. bunch of other schools that have done that. But I'm, I'll let these guys answer for the, their own campuses.
4: We, we haven't done that yet, um, but that does make me think about what, what Berkeley did a number of years ago with... Um, as far as I understand it, establishing department energy budgets. Is that
6: uh, it was monitoring energy use within departments and tracking
8: whether they're above baseline
6: or below.
4: And they were the baseline was set, and they were sort of handed that budget, and then as they uh, no, it was
8: wasn't running their budgets. It
6: was an energy, a utility budget. Yeah, and if they saved it, there were some gifts.
4: Right. They
6: were below their target.
4: If they went over it. There was a wording of penalties, but no penalties were. Out. Oh, okay. Well, it's a model we've. So was a light again? Yeah, it's something that's come up for yeah. us again and again as as a seems like a really compelling way to sort of parse out some of the ownership, right? I mean, which is yeah. I think the same thing you're getting at.
8: Yeah, making a little bit more about the accountability, but also understanding what that impact means for overall. It's not. It's a more tangible thing specific to your department. It's about talking about you know, with your students and, and that sort of thing. The second question I had was, um, how does resilience factor into all of your climate plans? How do you building in? You mentioned about the sort of the catastrophic, what if everything goes down? We've obviously seen some, you know, incidents recently, the three hurricanes. Um, I know other places are thinking about that, but in California as well, how does how does that build into those plans?
2: So I, I can start, I actually wanted to address your first question too, which is, to, uh, to answer your question, no. However, it's been identified as one of the barriers to getting to carbon neutrality is putting a price on it. and. And creating those impacts for for those that uh, that are making the decisions that that raise you know the the level of, of carbon emissions as we're trying to get to zero. So that's as far as we are. Is what what that mechanism and process is is, is undefined, to be very honest. But it has been identified as as a, a barrier and a, and a need for a solution. So whatever that's worth. Um, And then the second question, as far as resilience, I mean, I I see resilience as a huge opportunity for sustainability um, in that, I think those two things are you know like peanut butter and chocolate uh, that you can raise the the level of a a discussion with a decision maker when you start talking about resiliency that folds in a lot of elements that are key to sustainability so we've had some issues on some of our campuses around uh, resiliency with some f- of some flooding issues that have really raised the the profile of of uh, resiliency and then at the same time sustainability. So I think it's it's a huge opportunity that I think w- is being recognized and, and transitioning and weaving those things together is, is, is really important and, and something we should be doing.
3: So um, going back to the price of carbon, I think that we, we've been having those conversations more and more on campus, but we don't have anything implemented or institutionalized right now. I think it would really help us with our new buildings and our mechanical upgrades um, because if you have that cost accounted for already, the delta is not as high as it would be if you hadn't been accounting for that. So that's something we're pushing for. Um, But we've more recently been talking about incorporating the price of carbon into our travel not necessarily charging departments but giving departments the information so that if they know by 2029 we're going to be offsetting you'll have to pay someone will have to pay for that travel that you just did And if you zigzagged from san jose to washington dc down to i don't know panama then you're going to have to pay for the extra carbon associated with that trip even though it was 200 dollars cheaper to go that extra distance so giving them the opportunity to do that math and figure out well what's the more financially responsible decision no longer is just the cheaper flight it might be which one has less carbon emissions we're not there yet but that's just we're just starting to have those conversations and then the resiliency conversation we that's not incorporated in our climate action plan right now frankly I don't have enough time to to do that as well um, but you on our campus we're that's referred to as business continuity so if I go to a meeting we talk about business continuity we're all kind of speaking the same thing even though well, we're telling the same story even though we're not using the same words but it's not in the same plan
4: uh, as far as the resiliency piece at uh, Chico State we did sign the uh, climate leadership commitment when the ACPCC was rolled over there including the resilience piece and actually just this past spring we had to report on that for the first time so we, the first piece there is an assessment um, and we had actually a class a couple of the students who were in that class are here in the audience today um, that use the CalAdapt tool, that the State of California has put out, to look sort of regionally at what the uh, impacts of climate change will be. Um, that was a really valuable, I think, outcome for the campus. What came out of that is something that we submitted as part of our reporting there, and um, we've looked at some of the assessments, the National Climate Assessment, and some of the State of California assessments that are out there um, previously, but I think this kind of dialed it in a little bit more for us. There's a structure piece, you know. Um, it's necessarily more about engaging beyond the campus, right? So there's a piece where you're supposed to have a some sort of a committee that's got campus folks, but then also folks from across the region. We don't really have a full, well-established committee yet, but we do have some smaller groups that have been working together actually for quite some time on these issues. And we have a couple of initiatives that are what the main thing we submitted, reported there. One of them is actually we have an educational partnership for innovation in communities program at Chico State, the Resilient Cities Initiative. We're working with the city of Chico on uh, transportation and commuting issues around campus, as well as some other things. Um, and then we've got a regenerative agriculture initiative that's also fairly new, that's working with farmers throughout our region on uh, more sustainable practices. So it's certainly something, we've been talking about it, I'd say we're talking about it a lot more seriously now, um, but it's, it's new, it's newer certainly, and we're still feeling it out.
0: Is it fair to say to all of you, and I'll let Tyler, you can still answer the question, but that. Both conversations are having, but it's not like they're totally intertwined yet. Because that—that's kind of what I see with most campuses we work with: the climate action and the resilience piece being, you know, really married well. Is
4: it? I think that's fair to say.
5: Yeah, I mean, we're we're having those conversations, and we're starting to is starting to percolate into the discussion. So we talked a lot about in our energy resource planning how to how to incorporate a, a hotter world into our models into the future. And we see it in a variety of ways in our drought issues. We see it in uh, redlining of some of our cooling infrastructure across campus. We're seeing more sustained periods of heat, which are causing infrastructure uh, to be pushed to the, to the limit. Uh, we, we built into our sensitivity analysis fluctuations in demand to see you know, if that demand continues to rise year over year as a proxy for hotter days. What does that impact? How does that impact our, our costs down the road? I mean, so it's starting to uh, come into our conversations, but it's not a a central conversation yet.
0: All right, you started us off, you can end us off here, and then uh, I'll have just a few words to close and we'll hopefully get out of here a little early.
5: Yeah, and thanks again for
1: being here, learning a ton. Um, This is Joe Fullerton from San Mateo Community College District. I guess um, I'm gonna ask you each to kind of reflect a little bit and perhaps go back to your past self and um, so, for those of us that might be a little bit uh, earlier on in our path for climate action. Um, what is your pitch to your senior leaders for climate action? I, I understand that uh, President Napolitano kind of made that easy for some folks, but more um, hard, depending on who you are. Um, but you know, how, how do you, uh, what's your pitch?
3: What year are we going back to? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um,
4: to the beginning. I've, I guess I'll I'll start. Um, I guess a couple of the key things, a a huge, I mean, one of the biggest is that it's what our students want to see us doing. I mean, that's been very clear for a long time, and that matters in in a really big way. So I think that's been a big driver for us, and will continue to be, and is a a very important thing for us to, to continue to bear in mind. I'd say another big piece is that sort of the position that universities are in. We're in a sort of protected space that enables us to you know, innovate and research and pilot. And I think so sort of necessarily because of that, there's some responsibility for us to address these, you know, very pressing and, and wicked types of problems. Just off the top of my head, I think those are two of the biggest biggest pieces there.
2: Anyone else? I'm, I'm going to steal, actually, uh, Nareet Katz uh, made a comment in the meeting we had right before uh, this that I think is addresses that question, she's a uh, UCLA sustainability, chief sustainability officer, but she was saying how, you know, I think we need to do a better job of making a business argument to these senior leaders about the value of this and and that sustainability and and CNI is really an overlay on uh, business best practices. You know we should be reducing our operating costs by doing energy efficiency forget about carbon neutrality forget about all this stuff like should we should we you know do deferred maintenance that reduces our energy costs and operating costs as a good business yes should we be hedging our energy purchases uh, against volatile natural gas and electricity prices into the future with things that uh, we can have stable um, agreements on in, into 20 years out as a long-term institution, like solar PV and, and such things? Yes. So I think it's, it's let's just talk, call it a business argument. Let's take away these things that I think, I think saddle people with these preconceived notions of, oh, it's charity time, you know, I got to open my wallet and pay for these things and get these people to go with the signs to go away. Let's talk about business best practices.
3: Um if i had more money back in my prior self um i would have i think uh paid for a consultant to do some fancy emissions projections and modeling um but that wasn't reality so it was me doing it with like clean air cool planets carbon calculator which i don't really understand but you know so i think that like you want um minimum viable product you want to make sure you're getting at least the 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 main inputs to, to capture your emissions um, and then do the best you can with that data, which is what we did. And um, so that didn't really answer your question. But the other thing I would have done differently with our 2010 strategic plan was I should have um, had deliverables and dates and owners for each of those actions that we committed to because some of them got done. But most of them didn't and they're on our they're in our new climate action plan but the the thing i've learned since is you know we got to embed all those um those accountability components in as well as some better metrics and tracking both in for internally but also for the public because people want to know how we're doing and they don't want to click on the link to go to second nature's reporting tool because it's they don't know how to use it i mean um, if we can have some better uh, feedback tools on our website, I think that that would be more helpful and it would get more buy-in. I think the other thing we need to do is, like we learned about at lunch, after lunch today was um, you know, being, or sorry, before lunch, being, more, being better at communicating about climate change and the, the pressure that we're all under to reduce our energy usage and um, you know, kind of get more people to buy in and engage uh, not just the operations folks, but everybody that's on campus. So I would do that better.
5: I'm not sure my younger self would, would be super excited about my gained appreciation for a nuance, but uh, what, uh, there, there's a couple of approaches that you know, we, we try to take with our leadership. And I, I think you know, from a business perspective, uh, the, I think if we operate in California, sticks are coming. So there's carrots now, there's incentives to get there, but uh, California has a lot of momentum and it doesn't look like we're, we're going backwards there's a different national conversation going on but here you know these changes are coming and if they're not coming from a regulatory perspective they're coming from a societal pressure or a a student pressure perspective Uh, i mean this is already happening with fortune 500 companies and and then an additional plug we're talking about resiliency and risk Uh, and this is this isn't just a charity case these are real risks and real challenges to our continued operations as a as an institution that need to be thought about. And so there's a lot of, a lot of business sense in, in taking action.
0: It's the right thing to do, but just don't tell anybody, right? <laughs> all right, um, well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you, everybody, for uh, your great questions. I, I, this is what I was hoping out of this conversation. I hope they squirmed a little bit, but I think they're still all smiling, so that's good. Uh, but I think let's end by just giving these guys a round of applause for being so honest. So. That's it for this episode. To learn more, you can always see the show notes at our website at campusenergypodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at energypodcast. This show is a free service, but if you'd like to support the show, please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes or just telling a friend about the show. As always, thanks for listening.